Blog Talk Radio. But Obama wants to own the word fair and the phrase middle class. And yet, who has done more destruction to working people in this country than Obama? Why isn't it proper to point out the Democrat base is made up, for the most part, of the nation's losers? Free enterprise can do a better job producing the things that people need than government can. Less government and less taxes and more freedom for the people. Venezuela. These countries are tiny compared to the Soviet Union. The American flag never give up the freedom. On this Memorial Day, as our nation honors its unbroken line of fallen heroes, and I see many of them in, in the audience here today.
I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Long believed a speaker needed to entertain to be effective. All of his speeches are marked with humor, colorful language, and a forceful delivery. Long would occasionally hold press conferences in his pajamas. He never wrote speeches ahead of time, believing that notes made his delivery stale. He could tailor his speeches to any audience, having an almost intuitive understanding of appropriate language. In an instant, Long could switch from crude barnyard talk to religious homily. Journalists loved to quote him, and radio stations would compete to offer airtime. His message was simple. America must redistribute its wealth. Every man a king, every girl a queen, or you can be a millionaire. To promote this idea, Long started a grassroots campaign. This effort was not to be taken lightly. By 1935, over 7 million people had signed up, and nearly 20,000 new members were joining daily. Just before the end of the fall session of Congress, Long spoke to a group of staff members on Capitol Hill. According to the tables which we have assembled, it is our estimate that 4% of the American people own 85% of the wealth of America, and that over 70% of the people of America don't own enough to pay the debts that they owe. How many men ever went to a barbecue and would let one man take off the table what's intended for nine-tenths of the people to eat? The only way you'll ever be able to feed the balance of the people is to make that man come back and bring back some of that grub he ain't got no business with. How are you going to feed the balance of the people? What's Morgan and Baruch and Rockefeller and Mellon going to do with all that grub? They can't eat it. They can't wear the clothes. They can't live in the house. Give them a yacht. Give them a palace. Send them to Reno and give them a new wife when they want it. That's what they want. But when they've got everything on the God's living earth that they can eat and they can wear and they can live in, and all that their children can live in and wear and eat and all their children's children can use, then we got to call Mr. Morgan and Mr. Mellon and Mr. Rockefeller back and say, come back here. Where's that stuff back on this table here that you took away from here that you don't need? Leave something else for the American people to consume. And that's the problem. We're not going to destroy the Gulf Refining Company. We're not going to destroy the Standard Oil Company. But we're going to say that the limit of any one man's stock ownership in the Standard Oil Company is from three to five million dollars to that individual, and that the balance of the people of America own the balance of what the Standard Oil Company is worth. All right. Then, we start from the bottom, that the 25 or more million American families 
shall have a homestead, a home, and the comforts of a home, including an automobile and a radio, the things it takes in that house to live on. We say to America, 125 million, none shall be too big, none shall be too poor, none shall work too much, none shall be idle. No luxurious mansions empty. None walking the streets. None impoverished. None in pestilence. None in want. But in the land blessed by the smile of the Creator, with everything to be consumed, to be eaten, to be worn, that America will become a land sharing the fruits of the land, not for the favored few. Not to satisfy greed, but that all may live in a land in which the Lord has provided an abundance sufficient for the luxury and convenience of the people in general. I think. Long recognized that his plan had faults when told that confiscating funds from American millionaires would provide less than $1.50 for each poor family. Long replied, well, when they figure that out, I'll have something new for them. Besides, he continued, there are 20 million votes in that. Yeah. There we have it, folks. You know, one, one of the things I love about history... Oh, by the way, <laughs> you're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Let's get a couple of things out of the way. Our usual... Greeting, today's date, yeah, March 12, 2012 A.D., beautiful old town Alexandria. Actually, I'm here on the base at Quantico. I'm on the Marine Marine base here at Quantico, Virginia, United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. You know, before I get started, I just got to go ahead and tell you a little story. Today, uh, I visited Officer Candidate School. And I think I may have mentioned this to you a few times uh, during my um, uh, blog talk shows that, you know, I have a great nostalgia for the Quantico Marine Base and uh, and Officer Candidate School here specifically. A lot's changed since, uh, since I stood on the uh, parade ground, gone through the obstacle courses and all the necessary rites of passages to uh, – become an officer of Marines. And uh, what's striking, and I think a lot of you will will will, uh, will understand this, is that once we become older and we visit places that um, we uh, we visited uh, visited as children, as young very young people, the the places that we visit when we come back to them, they always seem so much smaller than they were back then. I've yet to figure out why, and no one's been able to give me a coherent answer as to why that is the case. Uh, but I I try to run the obstacle course yet again. I hold. Now this is this is fact. I still to this very day, thirty years later, hold the record for the obstacle course here at Officer Candidate School on the basic Quantico. I tried to run the obstacle course yet again. 
I talked about this on a previous blog talk show earlier in the summer, the summer of last year. And I tell you what, I didn't get halfway through it. And that is a shame. <laughs> that is sad. I just hope no one was looking. But I suspect that there were quite a few people chuckling as I stood there in my Marine Corps green short shorts. <laughs> and I didn't have the tube socks, no. But I, I was wearing the green short shorts and the Officer Candidate School uh, a USMC uh, green t-shirt. And I I decided I was going to go back just just one more time. Just one more time and relive the glory of my greatest triumph. It was not to be. Not not today. But I'll be back. And I'm going to try it again and again and again and again and again. Until I get within two minutes, <laughs> three, four minutes of that of that time. I finished the course. Uh, to achieve the record in one minute and 37 seconds. The average candidate will go through in just over two minutes. And no one's been able to beat that time so far. I don't even think anybody's tried. <sighs> okay, let's get on with the show. You know, one of the great things about being a historian is that we note that nothing is truly new under the sun. And that life goes in cycles. Remember when bell bottoms were so fashionable? And then just a few years ago, they came back. Do you remember that? Everything goes in cycles. Straight leg trousers are back now. I mean, they've been back for a while, but they came back. Everything goes in cycles. Even recently, being mod was hip. Addressing like folks uh, back in the 60s. Tie-dyed shirts came back. Could Huey P. Long come back? Actually, I don't, I don't think Huey Long will be coming back. He died in 1935. Shot. Taken out by an assassin. Who some say was hired. To kill Huey Long. Huey Long was a governor of Louisiana in the 1930s and a U.S. senator. And for a time, he held the governorship of Louisiana and a post as a U.S. senator simultaneously. Long was well known all over the nation and had a strong following. Strong. He planned to challenge FDR for the presidency of this nation, and Roosevelt was concerned because of Long's popularity. But what we see here today, what's beginning to happen, is a lot of Long's socialistic ideas are coming back. Hard economic times make fertile ground for believers in socialism and other radical forms of government. In the 1930s, this nation and the entire world were suffering under the Great Depression. In Europe, the terrible economic conditions led to the rise of Adolf Hitler as the dictator of Germany and Mussolini to lead Italy. 
So two things were needed to allow this to occur. Great promises. Great promises to make things better. And somehow, or someone, to blame and hate. Hitler blamed the Jews. Mussolini blamed everybody. Obama blames the rich. Huey Long used the bad economic times of the 1930s to promote his form of socialism. And he chose the so-called wealthy to blame for all the nation's troubles. In 1934, he introduced his Share Our Wealth economic plan. Long declared that there was enough wealth in this country to spread it around and everyone would be just fine. The money needed would be taken from the bankers and millionaires, businessmen, and industrialists. Does that sound familiar? The long plan called for a tax code that would take away all funds from the so-called rich that was needed and to limit the amount of income one could earn. Do you remember a president saying recently that at some point you've made enough money and that at some point the government needs to decide how much money you should be allowed to keep? Spread the wealth. Remember that. We'll get back to that in a minute. The kicker came, here it, here it is, the kicker came when Huey Long promised that the results would be that every family, every family would receive a financial grant of $5,000 and a minimum annual income of up to $3,000. Plus, Huey called for a month's vacation for every worker and a 30-hour work week. Does that sound nice? Anybody digging that? I'm feeling the love. Don't think that was a great deal of temptation? Think about it. That amounted to almost $60,000 in today's money and an annual income of $36,000. If this were offered today, wouldn't you think that a tremendous number of people would respond by saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, soak the rich and send me my money right here and now, kind of like this right here. Yeah, would, would you take your money? Would you accept your check? Ask yourselves honestly. Or would you just think, this guy's a clown. There's no way this could possibly work. It's just not going to happen. Would you? How many of you would be tempted to take that deal? To say, send me my check, Mr. Obama. How many of you would say, 
Give me my money. I'm good. This sounds like a great deal to me. Nobody? Nobody wants to nobody wants to jack? In many ways, in many ways, this is exactly what was being offered. This is what's being called for today. This is what's being offered today. The occupiers would have loved Huey Long. Take from those who have worked and earned and give to those who have their hands out for freebies. A la Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Politicians don't really need to be out of office to campaign for this thing. They don't. Those who are currently in office are beginning to pick up on this class warfare theme and push for radical changes in our form of government. Radical. Huey Long was a very popular man. Extremely popular. Is there any wonder why? Actually, in the 1930s, when Long's plan was beginning to become more and more popular, some of our wealthy citizens left the country. During the 1930s, a wealthy New Yorker's total tax rate was 69.9%, the highest in the, in the world. No investment capital would come into this country. But it did go out. Also, once England's tax rates reached such a high level, that talent and capital fled, fled that country. They left too, a la Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, years before Rand thought to write her famous novel. Recently, one of our U.S. senators brought up the idea that there should be a law passed that could keep any of our citizens from leaving this nation. He only pulled back from this position when it was pointed out that this would be the type of Berlin Wall in our own country. May you live in interesting times. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. My main, my main man, Cool Mike, is in the house. Good to see you. We'll be right back. Why is Ayn Rand's great novel Atlas Shrugged a bestseller today, more than half a century after it was written? It's because our real world today is just like the fictional future that Rand foresaw in Atlas Shrugged. It's a time of crisis and decay, but it's also a world of innovation and achievement. It's a world of heroes and villains, driven by very different philosophies. We wrote I Am John Galt to tell their stories. We look at the heroic innovators who are building our world and show that they're doing it just like the heroes of Ayn Rand's novels. They're using her philosophy of capitalism, reason, objective reality, and self-interest. Who is John Galt? Meet John Allison, the mild-mannered Southerner who created one of America's greatest banking empires. He did it with Ayn Rand's philosophy by getting every one of his tens of thousands of employees to read Atlas Shrugged and live by its code. In the great financial crisis of 2008, his bank was about the only one that didn't need a government bailout. But the government forced Allison to take TARP money anyway. After that, Allison walked away, just like John Galt did. 
There's so many other Rand heroes in our midst. There's Bill Gates, the genius who built the world's greatest company and the world's greatest personal fortune, only to have his own government call him a criminal for succeeding too much. Isn't he just like Hank Reardon from Atlas Shrugged? And how about Steve Jobs, the brilliant entrepreneur who reinvented computers, movies, music, telephones, just because he thought it was so cool? He's got the same attitude toward life as Howard Rourke from Rand's other great novel, The Fountainhead. Build it, and I don't care if they come. You'll meet some real-life Rand villains in our book, too. The parasites who are trying to destroy the world. Remember Wesley Mooch from Atlas Shrugged, the corrupt bureaucrat who destroyed the economy? That's Congressman Barney Frank, who spent years subsidizing Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in the name of altruism. When Fannie and Freddie nearly wrecked the U.S. housing market, what did Frank do? Just like Mooch, he demanded wider powers. And you'll meet Paul Krugman, the rabid partisan pundit who spreads socialism from the pages of the New York Times and thinks nothing of using the power of the press to destroy his political enemies. He's Ellsworth Toohey, the scheming, dwarfish newspaper columnist straight from the pages of the Fountainhead. These are some of the heroes and villains who move our world. So who is John Galt? I am. You can be too. Read our book and find out how. Lights, camera, action. You've been enjoying yourself, but now it's time to make them love you again. You're cool, calm, collected. You've always gotten what you wanted, but was it ever what we wanted? We need jobs. We need leadership, yet you do nothing as we pile up debts we can't afford. It's like you don't even get it. And I'm one of your middle-class Americans, and quite frankly, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted of defending you, defending your administration, defending the mantle of change that I voted for. We hope, and you hope. My hope is, my hope is, my hope is, but hope isn't hiring. descriptions to thousands of ill-housed, ill-fed, and ill-clothed Louisianans, Huey incarnated the savior of the common man and the liberator of the downtrodden. He promised hope in a land of hopelessness and brought humor to a saddened people. When he poked fun at the poor folk, they felt he was also poking fun at himself, and they loved it. They supported him staunchly, almost blindly, not worrying that he had built a ruthless political machine, or that he allowed some corruption in state government, or even that he pocketed some money himself. Seeing a man whose musical heart loved the songs of the common people, the country people idolized him. They did not merely vote for him, they worshipped the ground he walked on, a newspaperman observed. He was part of their religion. While thousands revered Huey, Thousands more despised him. His enemies called him a clangorous demagogue and loud-mouthed blatherskite, and branded him an ill-balanced and domineering radical whose populist notions were not only impractical, but ridiculously unattainable. Huey demanded that he rule, and rule absolutely, 
and to do so he crushed anyone who stood in his way. His Machiavellian lust for power led him to ruthlessly destroy his enemies' political careers, ruin their businesses, raise their taxes, and fire their relatives from government jobs. He took a savage delight not merely in beating opponents, but in humiliating them. His reign of power eventually split the state of Louisiana into a bifactional political battleground, where those who wanted to sanctify him squared off against those who wanted to crucify him. There was no middle ground. A person had to be either for or against Huey. Once he had grabbed tight control of Louisiana, the ambitious Huey was elected to the United States Senate, where his wild antics, uncouth manners, and long-winded filibusters made him the most entertaining show in Washington. He led a controversial crusade to limit the income of millionaires. And re- All right, and we're back with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Anyone? You know, earlier today I was driving down the road. As a lot of you know, I like to take pretty good uh, road trips every now and then. I don't really have anything else to do. I'm retired Marine, not you know, retired business person. I don't got any. I, I'm, I'm bored. So I'm driving down the road, and I'm trying to think of, you know, well, what can I, what topic can I, can I discuss on my upcoming show on Monday? I, I can't think of anything. Maybe I'll scan the. You know the Wire, the newspapers, or American Thinker, which is where I get a lot of my ideas from, and you know maybe I'll come up with something. But it was right there; it was right in the car with me. Kingfish: The Reign of Huey Long, by Richard D. White Jr. What you just heard was an excerpt from that book, the audio book. Kingfish. I recommend you go out. Th- I recommend you go out and get yourself a copy. It's going to be great. If you want to go, just get your, get the audiobook version. You can download it from audible.com or iTunes. And the reason why I'd like for you to get a copy, either in book form, ebook, or audiobook, which is something I prefer, is because you'll come to understand, if you don't already, how nothing has really changed. This president that we have in office, Barack Hussein Obama, our savior, he's been here before. Oh, I'm not talking about reincarnation, which is also something I believe in. I'm talking about a man who was just just like Obama in ideology. Spread the wealth. Millionaires and billionaires. Fat cats. The difference between Huey Long and Barack Obama, besides the obvious, is that Huey didn't get a chance because he was knocked off. And I'm not making any suggestions. I don't want anybody to get any ideas like that. What I'm suggesting here, no, what I'm saying outright is that Huey Long was just about to challenge President Roosevelt for the upcoming elections in 1935, 30, 38, 36. He was about to challenge him, and FDR was scared. And that's not my opinion. FDR said he was scared. <laughs> that Long was so popular that his idea of spreading the wealth, of uh, taking from the rich to give to the poor, even in terms of industry, 
that FDR didn't think that he'd be able to compete. That's just how popular these ideas of taking from one group of people to give to another. Huey Long. It's there, folks. It's there for us all to see. There is nothing, nothing new under the sun. Spreading the wealth. But let me give you an idea right now why that won't work. Let's go to my two main men, Penn and Teller, and let them explain it to you. To achieve undemocratic ends, even a Louisiana... I'm getting ready to buy a company that makes $250,000, dollars $80,000 a year. Your new tax plan is going to tax me. Here's a way of thinking about it. Um, how, how long have you been a plumber? How long have you been working? Uh, 15 years. Okay, so over the last 15 years, mm-hmm. when you weren't making 250, you would have been getting a tax cut from me. So you'd actually have more money, everybody. And, and I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. No, 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 Teller. I'm not taking pie from you. I'm giving pie to me. You see, I, uh, I didn't have any pie, so I gave pie to me. Now, I don't have any pie, so I'm not taking pie from you. I'm giving pie to me. Mm. I don't have any more pie, and you do. So you don't understand, Teller. I'm not taking pie from you. I'm giving pie to me. Thanks for cutting that piece. Now, neither one of us has any pie. So we'll find someone else who has pie. We won't take the pie from them. We'll give it to us. Now, where does Bill Gates live? I mean, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to take your money, Southern. I'm going to give it to me. That's all. 2020, blue sky. I'm not, blog talk. Alexander, I'm not going to take your money. I'm going to give it to me because I don't have any. So don't think of it as me taking from you. Think of me as think of it as me giving to me. And you know what? Penn and Teller hit the nail on the head. I put the video link up in the chat room because it's a lot funnier when you're actually watching these two together than it is listening. But I thought it made a pretty good point. This is why these sorts of things won't work. They won't work. The radical redistribution of wealth does not work. It's just as simple as that. But people like Barack Obama are going back, going back to Huey Newton. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I just said Huey Newton. Uh, uh, Huey Long. 
Sometimes I get the two confused. I don't know why. So I just I just I would just like for you to understand that we had Obama back in nineteen thirty five, the year he was killed. He's gone now. He was very popular. During tough times, it's very tempting. It's very popular to say that we're going to take from this guy to give to this guy. Because you've got too much. You've got too much. I want some of what you got. Actually, it's called theft. But if you can make theft legal in the form of taxation, then it's not even theft anymore. You can make almost anything legal, provided you have enough support for it. And apparently, Huey had a great amount of support. Huey started out as a relatively honest man. But what corrupted Huey was power. He longed for it. He coveted it. And he would do anything to attain it and keep it. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. You've all heard the phrase. Huey was bound to get knocked off. Because he pissed too many people off to the point where it was inevitable. Which is why he kept enough bodyguards to uh, to, 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 uh, to a small army, really. But folks, when we hear our president blame those fat cat rich bankers... Those fat cat millionaires and billionaires, oh, and they can keep their corporate jets. They'll just have to pay a little bit more, a little more to fly them or to ride in them. It's class warfare, Huey Long style. And that's what we're talking about here. It's class warfare that doesn't work. Now, it was explained to Huey Long that his plan for wealth redistribution would not work. He freely admitted, as was his custom, that he knew that it wouldn't work. But once the folks figured that out, he'd think of something else. Clever man. He played he preyed on others' fears. Huey Long, Barack Obama. America. Standing under the drooping branches of a live oak in the square of a small North Louisiana town, Huey Long spoke to a crowd of farmers and their families. Many of his listeners, poor folks made poorer by the Depression, had come many miles to escape their dull isolation and hear him tell a few jokes and lift their spirits with words of hope and prosperity. How many of you wear silk socks? he asked loudly. No one raised a hand. How many of you wear cotton socks? he then asked. As hands shot up in the audience, Huey bent over and hitched up his pants leg to show that he too wore cotton socks. But he went a step further and asked, How many of you have holes in your socks? 
When a few farmers again raised their hands, he pulled off one of his shoes to show his big toe sticking through a large hole in his sock. For the rest of their lives, whenever the farmers in that crowd rose early in the morning and pulled down their socks, they chuckled and thought of Huey Long and his big toe. They also would give him their total loyalty, their votes in overwhelming numbers, and would have no problem with giving him complete mastery over their state. Huey understood the will of the people and knew that their approval was the wellspring of his immense power. Money, allies, and patronage were critical, but useless if he did not first possess popular sanction. To keep the people firmly in his grasp, he knew that they had to look upon him as one of their own, and not as some distant and overbearing politician. So, here we have it. Think about that. Think about what you just heard. We have a president who seeks to live, or rather, pretend to live like the common man. Oh, he goes to a steak joint. He heads over to uh, some little eatery out of the way joint. And he sits down and he rolls up his shirt sleeves. You, you ever see him do that? Roll up his shirt sleeve and have an open shirt, his collar open shirt style? And, and talk to the people. He gets down with the regular folks. And he says, I'm one of you. We're all Americans. We should all pull together. No one should have more than the next man. When we spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. And that's all I really want to do, he says, is I just want to make it good for everybody. Not just those fat cats. Not just those rich people, but for everyone. The tax plan is going to tax me more. It's not that I want to punish your success. I just want to make sure that everybody who is behind you, that they've got a chance of success, too. I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. Shame on you, Barack Obama. When you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. Nineteen thirty-four. Huey Long, when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. Those fat cats can't eat but so much. They can't drink but so much. Bring back some of that grub. You ain't got no business with. Share the wealth. Share it. And would let one man take off the table what's intended for nine-tenths of the people to eat. The only way you'll ever be able to feed the balance of the people is to make that man come back and bring back some of that grub. He ain't got no business with. Now, how are you going to feed the balance of the people? What's Morgan and Baruch and Rockefeller and Mellon going to do with all that grub? They can't eat it. They can't wear the clothes. They can't live in the house. But when they've got everything on the God's living earth that they can eat and they can wear and they can live in, and all that their children can live in and wear and eat and all their children's children can use, then we got to call Mr. Morgan and Mr. Mellon and Mr. Rockefeller back and say, come back here. 
Put that stuff back on this table here that you took away from here. That you don't need. Leave something else for the American people to consume. Out of school early Wednesday for this. Her emotions ran high following Obama's speech. It was the most memorable time of my life. I, I, it was a touching moment because I never thought this day would ever happen. I won't have to worry about putting gas in my car. I won't have to worry about paying my mortgage. You know, if I, if I help him, he's going to help me. Remember, remember what I said, folks. Remember what I said at the beginning of this broadcast. There is nothing new under the sun. Life, our world, our very lives individually are cyclical. We've seen Barack Obama before, many times, in many guises, in many colors, in many nationalities, in many countries. He's been here before. Talk about the Antichrist. Talk about the devil incarnate. It's as if Barack Obama is Kaiser Soze. He's here. He's there. He's everywhere. Now, I'm not suggesting that Barack Obama is omnipotent. I'll leave that to liberals. However, the idea, the ideas, all of them, they've been here before. Tune into the History Channel any Sunday afternoon. The channel which I call All Hitler All the Time. And you'll hear, you'll hear somewhat faintly. At some point, I do believe you've made enough money. The government should decide how much money you get to keep. When you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. Those rich, fat cat bankers, i.e. the Jews, they can keep their fancy cars and automobiles and homes. They can fly in their fancy jets. They'll just have to pay a little bit more in order to do so. Remember, folks, we've heard it all before. And it'll go. It'll go. Barack Obama will fade into history, as he should, as being the first black president, or so-called black president in the history of this nation, Pretty soon, we'll have another black president somewhere down the line, and Barack Obama will be a footnote in history as just another socialist, a radical like Huey Long. And be honest. Be honest with me right now. Be honest with yourselves. How many of you actually remember Huey Long? How many of you remember how he died? The date. What year he was born? At some point, Barack Obama's prosperity-killing policies will echo like those of Huey Long in our distant memories. 
it reminds me of the phrase, and this too shall pass. A lot of us are saying that with four more years of Barack Obama, this country will be destroyed. We will no longer be the great, powerful, shining beacon on the hill. The bright, shining light of the world. The world leader will just be yet another country in a, in a sea of countries. Just another country. Just another, well, United Nations uh, property. We can't do with another four years of Obama. This country will cease to exist, some say, as we know it. And I agree. But a lot of folks thought that way with Huey Long as well. Huey Long was not able to fulfill his dream of wealth redistribution for the United States as a total in total. But for the state of Louisiana, he did exactly that. He gave away free books for school children, free health care, free this, free that. But it wasn't actually free. And as a result, in the overall analysis, it was the people of the great state of Louisiana. It was the people of Baton Rouge. It was the people of every county. Because ultimately, the state of Louisiana went bankrupt. And Huey Long had to raise taxes on almost everything and everyone in order to stave off complete and total bankruptcy. We've seen this before. Don't you forget it. This country is in deep trouble. Of that, there is no doubt. But take heart that this guy, you know who I'm talking about. He's going to come and he's going to go. And we'll be all right. But just to remind you. Uh, but we always want to make sure that the, the playing field is such where everybody who's got a good idea has a chance to succeed. Everybody's got a chance to get financing. Everybody who works hard is able to raise their family. Everybody uh, has an opportunity, if they act responsibly, to send their kids to college and to retire with dignity and respect. Uh, and in that sense, uh, that does involve us spreading around opportunity. And yes, it means that people like myself, who make a lot more than $250,000 a year, pay a little bit more in order to make sure that the waitress, uh, who is surviving on a minimum wage and tips, still can keep a roof over her head and save enough for her kid to go to college. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I mean, in your deepest moment of introspection and reflection, 
What's really wrong with that? Uh, are you willing to pay a little more so that waitress could uh, keep a roof over her head and put food on the table? My answer is hell no. No, I'm not. As far as I'm my, as far as I'm concerned, that waitress can go out and she has the same opportunities I have. When I left the Marine Corps for six months, and I did, fell in love, didn't want to go to, got married, didn't want to go to Okinawa, had no choice. It was either go there for 18 months, leave my new my new girlfriend, my fiance, or go for three years and be married. Neither option was good for me, so I left for six months. Guess who wound up waiting tables? On one of those damn boats, you know, one of those you know, dinner dinner ships, dinner cruise things. I did that. I made pretty good bread, too. And I certainly wasn't concerned about the government subsidizing me or some other person paying a little bit more so I can have a little bit more that I didn't work for or earn to subsidize me. Because of the choices that I made. So when you think about, well, hey, what's wrong with paying a little bit more so that proverbial waitress can put a roof over her head and put food on the table? Hell, that's why she's a waitress. She's working to make money. What self-respecting person wants a subsidy anyway? When they're able to work, I simply wasn't raised that way. Were you? Oh, I know some people will say, hey, it's all good. It's not all black and white. Maybe that waitress didn't have the opportunities that you and I have. But you know, when I think about that, I think about that damn pet rock. How many of you were born and walking around when... Some 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 moron genius invented the pet rock. As far as I know, that guy's still filthy rich to this very day. And it was a damn rock with eyes on it. And people were buying that damn thing in droves. And how about that damn mood ring? Any of you remember that stuff? These things were completely worthless. And... Doing my research earlier today, I discovered that these people are still around and still filthy rich. And for the guy who invented the mood ring, his family still collecting jack off of that damn thing. And guess who had one? Me. And what about those damn sea monkeys? The person who came up with the idea to put the sea monkey advertising on the back of those comic books that you and I read as children. And oh, didn't we want them? Because they were like little people. And all they were were these tiny little damn shrimp, or scrimps as we call them in the neighborhood. But we wanted them bad, didn't we? And we bought them. Talk about opportunity. When you can get rich in this country doing something idiotic like that and having idiots like me buy them, for two or three dollars per pop, that person, 
what a country this is. What a great country this is. So when I'm when you think about me paying a little bit more for that waitress who's probably going to invent the next best the next cabbage patch doll or the fine lady who invented those cookies who came up with that cookie recipe you know who I'm talking about Mrs. Fields who was a housewife who was pretty much broke who had a killer cookie recipe how many of you chat out on Mrs. Fields cookies? All these people were broke. Now, I don't know if they got a handout from the government to keep them squared away. I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But I do know my show is winding down and Southern Census show is on tomorrow at 2 p.m. And I'm going to be there. 2020 is going to be there. Casanova Frankenstein said he's going to be there. Evil Clown's going to be there. And it's and it's for a damn good cause. So please check out Southern Sense on Blog Talk Radio tonight. For all of you who are listening to this show. And please make your make it a point to be there so we can help raise money for wounded warriors. Some of them who were probably once under my command at one time or another. Southern Sense tomorrow. 2 p.m. Be there or be square. In fact, don't be square. Be there. I'll be there. It's going to be a great show. And we're going to love it. 2020 is going to be there. Evil Clown. Everybody's going to be there. It's all good. It's going to be delicious. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock. In the meantime, we're going to get up out of here. I just want to say this one thing, though, before I go. Nothing, absolutely nothing is new under the sun. We've all been there. Barack Obama's been here before. And we survived. Good night, folks. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. Try not to get worried, try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Don't you know everything's alright, yes, everything's fine. And we want you to sleep well tonight. Let the world turn without you tonight. If we try, we'll get by, so forget all about us. Everything's all right, yes, everything's all right, yes. Sleep and I shall soothe you, calm you, and anoint you for your hot forehead. Then you feel everything's all right, yes, everything's fine. And it's cool and the ointment sweet for the fire in your head and feet. Close your eyes, close your eyes. And relax, think of nothing tonight. Hey, woman, you find ointment brand new and expensive. Should have been saved for the poor. Why has it been wasted? We could have raised maybe 300 silver pieces or more. People were hungry. 
people who are starving, they matter more than your feet and hands. Try not to get worried, try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Don't you know everything's alright, yes, everything's alright, yes. Surely you're not saying we have the resources to save the poor from their lot. There will be poor always, pathetically struggling. Look at the good things you've got. Think while you still have me move, while you still see me. You'll be lost and you'll be sorry when I'm gone. Alright, yes, everything's fine And it's cool and the ointment's sweet For the fire in your head and see Close your eyes, close your eyes And relax, think of nothing It's nice. 